Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. So glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. I want to welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues, maybe at an off-site campus, wherever you happen to be. We are glad that you are here as well. Hey, out of curiosity, as we get started, how many of you ladies attended the Chosen Women's Conference? Let me see some hands. There we go. Around all of our campuses, all around the country, really, over 1,700 women were here to worship with us, go after God, have a great time the last couple days, and man, without fail, every single year, it's one of the most powerful, memorable, yet awkward two days that I get to experience <laughs> here at Seacoast. You might be asking, well, Pastor Josh, what's so awkward about being here with 1,700 women? I'm gonna tell you, a couple. There's a long list, but two of which, the first of which is, is sitting through the sessions with the speakers. We bring in some amazing communicators, each of which are women, and without fail, at some point during the conference, they'll say something along the lines of, ladies, I want you to turn to the sister beside you and tell her you are a woman of God. Some sweet, inspired woman turns to me. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I work here, you know, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. A couple years ago, we were on the front row, and it was Katie and I and Pastor Josh and Lisa, and the speaker had women kind of reenact this Titanic moment where you get behind the person beside you, kind of hold their arms up, and Josh had stepped out for something, and Katie had stepped out for something, and it was Lisa and I just turned to each other and said, I don't know what we have to do, but it's not that. We're not, do I'm not, we're not doing that, you know? <laughs> this makes for some awkward, awkward moments. Well, second of which is the costumes. For the last couple years, Adam Martin, who leads our small group ministry, is the godfather of random hilarity. And he scripts these pre-shows that like are borderline inappropriate, and they come with these costumes. And so I brought a picture, show you a little bit of what I'm working with. Now, nothing about that would lead you ladies to say, you know what, honey, we ought to go hear that guy present God's word this weekend. You know? It is not helping the ministry of Seacoast. Please, you can take it down now, thank you for leaving it up so long, yeah, that's great. Without fail, every year, powerful, memorable, but awkward, ladies. If you didn't get to experience it, next year is your year. 
Well, for the last few weeks, we've been in a series on the book of Revelation. We're wrapping it up today. The book is written by a guy named John. It's the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's him. Uh, He also wrote the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It's 22 chapters long. It's written to seven different churches in Asia Minor. And last week, Pastor Greg taught us about some of the kind of key topics within the book of Revelation, the rapture, tribulation, second coming, things like that. And today we're gonna be looking at the last two chapters of that book. But before we get started, let's take just a minute and pray. God, we thank you so much for this weekend. And I'm thankful that your word does not return void, that anytime we give our attention or time to reading it, studying it, uh, preaching it together as a church family, that, that it works in our hearts. And so we just pray right now for anything that might be going on in our lives, anything we might have come in Uh, carrying God, that right now you would allow our attention to be given fully to you, to anything that you might wanna do in our hearts and minds. May your word not return void this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen. I got a question for you as we get started. How do you feel when you think about heaven? What happens in your heart? Maybe you hear a song on the radio or you hear somebody speak about heaven or you read about it. What happens in your heart? Do you have feelings of maybe excitement or anticipation, uh, looking forward to heaven? Or do you have feelings of, of anxiety, maybe concern, fear? Is it some combination you know, of all, all those things? A couple weeks ago, we pulled our kids out of school for two weeks to go on this epic family uh, vacation. You might be thinking, well, why did you wait until the school year started? That's what we have summer for. Well, I was never really good in school. And so uh, I kind of enjoy pulling my kids out of it just to show them, like, you don't have to be either, you know? <laughs> it's okay, you know? So, so we pulled them out of school two weeks, got teachers front-loaded all their work for us, and we, we loaded up in Big Alice. All of our kids' names start with A, and so we figured we should probably name the people mover itself with an A name as well. So the license plate says Alice. We call her Big Alice. We had loaded up all the kids' stuff, 2,500-mile northern road trip. So we went through Washington, kids got to see the White House and National Mall and all that, went to Boston and walked the Freedom Trail. I was a history major in college, so kind of geek out over all the uh, Paul Revere, you know, that kind of stuff. I grew up in Maine some, but never been back since moving away, and so we went up to Maine, kids got to see the coast of Maine. And the highlight of the trip, the whole time the kids had been looking forward to the ride home when we would go to New York City. And so the whole trip, they're asking about like, Dad, are we gonna get to see the Statue of Liberty? Can we touch it? You know, like, can we go to Central Park? Dad, can we go to the Central Park Zoo? Our kids have seen Madagascar one too many times and <laughs> are positive there was a dancing lion. You know, <laughs> like, it's not, that's not real. You know that's not real. You know, like, we'll see. We were going to leave the house, the car. I'm talking about packed up. Eight people, all of our stuff for two weeks. It was packed up. And Abel was like, Dad, Dad, can I bring my skateboard? I've always dreamed of skateboarding in Central Park. Like, always dreamed you're nine, dude. (laughs) You learn about it like last year? You know, like, sure, we're making dreams come true. Get the skateboards. We carted that thing all over the Northeast, you know. Well, we finally get to New York. It was 10 o'clock on a Monday night. I pull up in front of the, the hotel, and we all walk up to the room, and right as we get to our room, the door opens, and Katie's sister, Caroline, 
had flown up from Orlando to meet us there. And so the kids are like, oh my gosh, Aunt Caroline's here, wow. You know, they're so excited, thinking that was the surprise for them. And so we get in the room, and we kind of pull them all together, and they're like, what's up, what's going on? And, and so I said, kids, in just a couple days, it was only about two days at that point, two days we're gonna be leaving New York on a Disney cruise ship. And the kids were like, oh my gosh, you know, they like, Girls are crying, the little boys start jumping on the beds. I mean, just lost it. And we're in a New York hotel room, so it's about the size of like a master bedroom closet. You know, <laughs> it's tight, it got hot real quick, it was like emotional, so excited. But here we were in the place that they've talked about for a week and a half now, like just so excited to be here in New York. And from that moment on, all of their questions, conversations, Google searches were centered around this promised future that they anticipated. Dad, Dad, what do you eat on a cruise? Do we have to eat fish? Is there fish on the boat, Dad? And you know, it's like, oh, buddy, what do you eat? Let me tell you, that's the best. Right now, when we go out to a restaurant, we make all the kids share meals, because it's like, they're not gonna finish them anyway, and they got their whole life to eat, and so it's like, you don't need to <laughs> spend all that money. <laughs> People were like, how do you afford it? And it's like, you only feed half of them. That's the, that's the deal, you know? And so, so I'm like, buddy, that's the best part of a Disney cruise. They have a kid's menu and an adult menu, and I don't care which one you order off of. If you want two entrees off the kid's menu, you can get the corn dog and the hot dog, you know? Like, go for it. And they have a 24-hour ice cream bar. They rotate flavors throughout the day. You can have ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whenever you want it. You can go to the ice cream bar. So they're like, oh my goodness, wow. They get online, they say, dad, dad, they have water slides. They got water slides on the boat, dad. They're getting all excited. They're like, oh, but it's kinda cold here. It's gonna be kinda cold. I was like, no, 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 buddy, the water's heated. The water's heated, I was like, yeah, it's like a hot tub water slide. A hot tub water slide, you know? Just on and on and on. They were so fired up. They had a good time in New York, but all they could think about, all they could talk about was where we were going in the future. Well, I feel like God gave me that picture as I prepared for the message this week to give me a picture of the excitement and the anticipation that my kids held towards their, their promised future so that I could compare it with how I often respond to mine. You know, if I'm honest with you in preparing for this message, I've realized that I have a pretty lame view of heaven, which I'm sure for you is very encouraging to hear coming from your pastor. <laughs> you know? But if I'm being honest, as I, as I think about heaven, I've often envisioned myself being raptured, carried off somewhere, wearing a, a robe, taking part in this like eternal worship service. Does anybody resonate with some picture similar to that? Which is only challenging for me because one, I don't own a robe. And so when I think about that, the only time I have access to one is when I'm at like a hotel. So I kind of picture all these people gathering in the lobby with their robes on. That's just, that's not right, you know? And I don't sing very well. Though I have prayed often that when I get to heaven, I would have the voice and moves of Justin Timberlake. <laughs> I'm claiming that in Jesus' name. I think God might just do something like that. But if I'm honest, I just haven't thought much about heaven for a number of reasons. One, I don't wanna die. I'm, I'm scared of death. What's it gonna be like? What's gonna happen 
in that moment. I know my days are numbered. Well, when is mine and exactly what's going to happen? And so instead of giving a lot of thought to it, I've settled in my mind and heart's thoughts like, well, I guess I'll just find out when I get there. We'll see what it's like. Though heaven is a promised reality, a future certainty for every one of us who are a Christ follower. So why does it matter what we think about heaven? Well, the Bible tells us that our lives are but a vapor, that they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. And that on any day, at any moment, whether by old age or illness or accident, we're gonna step into our eternal homes where we will spend forever. Turn to your neighbor and say forever. Forever, okay? Forever. If you were going somewhere for a weekend, you would pack a bag and book a room. If you were gonna go somewhere for a week, you'd get online and see what restaurants should we eat at? Where should we go? What, what memorable moments do we need to experience while we're there? If you were gonna move somewhere to live there, man, you would tour like neighborhoods, study the language, the, the culture, you would prepare for life there. Yet if I'm honest, I've done very little of that to prepare myself for living in my eternal home. I believe the enemy has used busyness and mystery and the lie of boredom that we might not catch a vision, catch a glimpse of what God has prepared for us for eternity. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 there on your outline says it this way. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven is, isn't just a more desirable option than hell. It's the perfect, promised, eternal adventure, unlike anything else we have ever experienced. And I'm thinking, God, if that's what you have in store for me, then God, forgive me for having not cultivated in my heart any excitement or any anticipation for where I'm going. I think about how my kids responded to a Disney cruise <laughs> and compare that with the eternity that God has prepared for me. And I can't help but wonder, like, how would my life look different? How might our lives look different if our eternity was settled? Not just knowing for sure that we're gonna go there, but beginning to dream and imagine all that God has prepared for us once we do. So my hope for us today is that as we talk about heaven some, that God will begin to stir your heart, give you a, a vision of eternity with him. What does heaven look like? What are we gonna do there? It's not just wishful thinking or a good outcome. It's a promised certainty, a reality for each of us who are believers. So how do we respond to that? A couple thoughts for you there on your outline. The first of which is this. The reality of heaven, number one, invites me to dream. It invites me to dream. How many of you would agree with me that it's hard to get excited about something that you can't imagine? It's hard to get excited about something you can't imagine. Maybe you remember when you were considering going to college. You might have gone and done a, a tour of the campus, looked at the stadium where they play football, maybe walked through the dorms. Uh, you went by the bookstore because you wanted to check out the school swag. You know, what does the logo look like? It's tough for you because you kind of like the school, but you really don't even like the color orange, and God forbid you wear a paw on your shirt. It's like, what is that, you know? Might as well put fur on your face. That's just weird, you know? Doesn't matter if it says national champion if it's ugly, you know? <laughs> I'm just kidding, all right. <laughs> Maybe people holding up cups. We're taking it a little far, all right. Cheers to that, all right. Maybe you ladies remember when, when you thought you found the one, you know, and you, you started writing your first name with his last name. 
just to begin to envision the two of you becoming one, starting a family together. I remember when Katie and I, we had been together for about a year, and I caught her doing this one day. She wrote, Katie Walters. And I said, babe, what's up with the S? She said, what, what are you talking about? I said, it's Josh Walter. I don't have an S. She's like, oh my gosh, are you serious? And she started writing. I was like, this is gonna be too easy. <laughs> this, is, this is great. Or maybe you, maybe you think about taking a job somewhere. And you start to think about like, what would it be like to drive these streets, you know, to work in this city, in that, in that office, to have that title. And whether or not you ever actually verbalize any of these thoughts, just your ability to imagine them helps you get excited and open and, and begin to cultivate vision about the idea of going there or doing that, whatever it might be. Well, it's very easy for us to not get excited about heaven because of all of our questions feel like it's difficult to answer. We don't really know what, what is heaven gonna be like? Uh, am I gonna have a body? Will I recognize people? Will we be able to communicate? Is it really an eternal worship service? What's the deal with marriage? Are there gonna be pets in heaven? Are there gonna be cats in heaven? Because that would not be heaven. I need to, you know, like on and on and on. So as we get started today, I wanna talk through some of these questions in hopes one, that, that it would begin to help you get a vision of eternity in heaven, but also that it would help you identify some of your questions. And if any of you are like me, if you just kind of settled that, well, we'll see what it's like when I get there. Can't know for sure now. Man, I hope you'll identify some of your questions and not settle with apathy. Don't be okay with that. Begin to cultivate a vision. So the first question there on your outline is, will I have a six-pack in heaven? I'm just kidding. That's every dude's question here. The question is, will I have a body in heaven? Will I have a body in heaven? I've always kind of envisioned myself being raptured, carried off. That's not natural anyway, right? Like you can't imagine floating off somewhere. So when we get there, are we kind of like hovering around? Are we walking? What, what is that gonna be like? Well, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 47 through 49, there on your outline says it this way. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, that's Adam. The second man is from heaven, that's Jesus. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we are born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So essentially what this passage is saying about our resurrected bodies is that Jesus is our example. We will be as he was. So what was Jesus' body like? When he resurrected, we know, that, that he walked up the road with the disciples. Uh, we know that he invited them to, to touch his wounds, to prove that it was him, so in some way they could actually feel him, get his, his hands on him. We know that Mary wrapped her arms around him and, and hugged him, but we also know that he did some supernatural things. While on that walk with the disciples, he disappeared. He was taken up. The disciples were in a room one day praying and Jesus appeared to them. The door was locked and somehow he appeared in the room. So we know we will have physical bodies that will walk and eat, that we can touch, but in the same hand, we're gonna be able to do some supernatural things. So yes, it appears that we will, we will have a body in heaven. The second question there in your outline is, will I recognize people? Will I recognize people? Matthew 8, 11 says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Deborah, Esther, Peter, Paul, on and on and on. We're gonna know all these heroes of our faith. Why would there be a line in the sand somewhere so as to say you're not gonna recognize people beyond this point? You know, if Jesus is our example, there's a couple instances in scripture where one, when the disciples were out fishing and he appeared to them on the shore, and that, that story, he screams out to him, have you caught any fish? That story starts off by saying the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. But there came a point where John realizes it's him and says, it is the Lord. Peter jumps out of the boat, swims to shore, and that story concludes by saying none of the disciples dared ask him who he was, for they knew it was the Lord. Another story of when Mary ran to the tomb to see if Jesus' body was there and found the tomb empty. She's there crying and she thinks she's talking to the gardener until she hears him say her name. Then she realizes it is the Lord and she wraps her arms around him. I kind of get the impression that people recognized him but it took a moment. It was kind of like if, if you have a friend who maybe has always worn a beard, you know, like had just this awesome man beard which I'm like so envious of. A couple of you around here have like these epic man beards that I can see from up here and all I can grow is this like hot Amish guy. <laughs> you know? so. But if you have a friend who has an epic man beard and then they shave it and you see him one day and it's like, hey, I, you know, you look, you look different. Oh, you shaved, wow, what the do? You know, or you, if you see your doctor at the grocery store, see somebody out of context, it's like, hey, I know you, and then you turn quickly because you don't want him to bring up anything <laughs> you want to see him about, you know? Or maybe you have a campus pastor who recently shaved their head and you feel obligated to tell him you like his old hairstyle more and you won't look at him, you know. I don't tell you how to wear your hair. <laughs> It'll grow back, you know. But it took people a minute. They, they would see him and then realize that it was him. But it appears that, yes, we will recognize people in heaven. That's very helpful for me to get a, a vision of heaven because I've tried to imagine, am I gonna know my kids? I can't imagine my life without my wife. If there's not marriage in heaven, am I at least gonna recognize them to spend eternity with them? Yes, we're gonna recognize people when we get there. Will I go there immediately? In Luke 23, Jesus is on the cross beside the thief, a man who hadn't lived for God or, or known God, yet in the last moments of his life, he says, will you remember me and your kingdom? And Jesus' response to him there in Luke 23, 43 is, truly I tell you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 8. He says, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. To leave the body is to be at home with the Lord in his presence. Jesus said, today you will be with me. Revelation 6 tells a story about martyrs, men and women who had been killed because of their faith. They're having a conversation with God saying, how long, how much longer is it gonna be until you avenge our blood? But these men and women are there in the presence of God. So it appears that I've always kind of questioned, are we gonna you know, uh, be waiting for some period of time? You might have heard teaching of like an intermediate place and I've kind of envisioned, is it this like eternal DMV line where I'm given a number and waiting and waiting and waiting and people being sent home because they didn't have the right paperwork and like, oh, you know. On and on and on, but no, it appears that we will go from life to eternity in his presence. That helps me get a vision of life there. Will I know everything? This is a passage that I've always kind of taken out of context when I've thought about eternity and heaven and what's it gonna be like. 
1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and this is the part I've always kind of thought of, then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. I've kind of thought when I get to heaven that there would be some kind of upgrade, like a, a, a knowledge bank download, bloop, 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 you know? And all of a sudden I understand, like, how my body works. I understand creation and nature and I could pick up a guitar and play, you know, whatever it might be that I would know fully when I get to heaven. But what this passage is saying is that we would fully know God and that he would fully know us. So what does that mean? No, you're not gonna know everything upon arrival, but you will have all of eternity to learn and grow and explore all of God's creation. Will there be worship? Absolutely but the eternity he's prepared for us is so much more than just an eternal worship service. We're gonna get to learn and grow and do many of the things that we always wanted to do. I've had a guitar in our living room for years now with the vision of one day being able to play it, you know, to lead our family in a worship song. It sounds cute, doesn't it? Like something a pastor would do. But that requires uh, practice, having somebody teach me how to play these like bunion calluses on your fingers from the strings. Every time I go to play, it's like, that's why I'm not doing it. It's like, ow, <laughs> that hurts, you know? But in heaven, I've got all of eternity to learn to play. And I can have the best of the best teach me. Jimi Hendrix, if he's there, <laughs> is gonna give me guitar lessons. You know? That's just exciting. You won't know everything, but we've got all of eternity to learn. That's exciting, helps me get a vision. This is another one that I've been stuck up on. Where is heaven? Where is heaven? You know, in our, our current reality, we live on earth and heaven is somewhere else. So when a believer dies, they go to spend eternity in heaven. And the separation between earth and heaven right now represents our separation between God and man. But what John is talking about is after everything Pastor Greg addressed last week, after the tribulation, after the rapture, when the old order of things has passed away, heaven comes to earth, and this new heaven and new earth, and this is what John says about it there in Revelation 21. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Where is heaven? The new heaven, when, when the battle of, against good and evil is finally settled once and for all, where are we going to spend eternity? Man, that's a big part of us cultivating a vision for spending eternity there, and it's going to be right here, a restored, redeemed earth that's made new. Because of the consequences of sin, it damaged our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with his creation. But think about the most beautiful place you've ever been. Maybe it was on a hike and you round some corner and just see creation that hasn't been damaged or affected by man just as God created it to be. The new earth will be even greater. Maybe you've traveled abroad to see the great can uh, Grand Canyon or, or Italy or wherever the most beautiful place is in your mind. Think about that and then go next level. A restored, redeemed earth made new by God for us to spend all of eternity with him. That is what he had in mind. Man, I can get excited about that. 
not floating around or hovering, but living with God on earth as he intended it to be. What questions do you have about heaven? Man, if you will write them down on your outline sheet, search scripture for them, talk to your small group about them, begin to pray through them and see how God might reveal himself to you, man, we will begin to cultivate a vision, to get excited about going there, to spend eternity with him. And the excitement isn't the only thing that really intrigues me, it's the thought of how it might impact my life today. How might it change the way that I approach any given Monday knowing that eternity is settled and God has incredible things in store for me? So one, the reality of heaven, it invites us to dream. Number two there on your outline is that it empowers me to live. It empowers me to live. How many of you have a bucket list? You got a bucket list? So bucket lists are, are helpful in that you, you kind of list out the things that you want to do before you kick the bucket. YOLO, right? You heard that? Hashtag. <laughs> you only live once. So you better make the most of this time. List out the places that you want to go, the things you want to do. Once you die, you're not going to have the opportunity. Well, in thinking about the new heaven, where we're going to spend eternity, if it's right here on earth, is that really the case? We'll have all of eternity. You know, if we don't get to do everything that was on our bucket list, we're gonna have all of eternity to explore those places and do those things. So I'm keeping my bucket list, but it's got me thinking that maybe I should revise it and add some things to it. Instead of my bucket list just being about things that I want to do on earth before I go to heaven, Maybe I need to add a few things, things that I need to do on earth that I can't do in heaven. Do you know there's some things that you can't do in heaven? One of which, for example, is share your faith. You ain't gonna be able to share your faith in heaven because the sweet thing about the family of God spending eternity in heaven is that everyone's ticket to admission was the same, that they believed in their heart and confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. He's gonna be there with us. We will be in his presence. There's gonna be no need to share our faith with people in hopes that they may be saved. And that invites me to live with a sense of urgency. Makes me question, am I going to spend eternity with the people in my life that matter most? With my family, with my friends. <laughs> I was about to say coworkers, but they all work at the church. So hopefully, <laughs> for me, that's settled. <laughs> Maybe there's a few in Columbia. I don't know, you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know, I can't make that decision for them, but man, I can be very intentional. I can set some goals that I'm gonna take advantage of opportunities to tell them about Jesus, to live the kind of life that would lead them to question, like, why do I, why do, I do that? What other things can't you do in heaven? Scripture tells us that we, therefore, are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us. He's placed us here in this life in this place, and this time to represent him. Scripture tells us that he is a, a father to the fatherless. Invites us to look after the orphan and widow and their distress, that we would feed the hungry, that we would see and care for the forgotten, the imprisoned, the, the marginalized. Man, we live in a world that is desperate for the hope of heaven. And how are they gonna hear about it? How are they gonna find it? God has positioned us here. That's something that I can do here on earth that I can't do in heaven. Man, it's true in our life, and it was true in the time that John was writing uh, Revelation 21 as well. Verse four there on your outline. 
Up to this point, John's used this incredible language to describe the new heaven. The old order of things has passed away. God has made his home among his people. Look, he's making all things new. And instead of saying, we're gonna go on incredible adventures with God, we're gonna get to know him as our, as our best friend, instead of describing life there, he contrasts their promised future with their current reality. In verse four, he says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has gone away. I mean, that sounds a lot like the world that we live in today. Every day we're bombarded with news of death and mourning and crying and pain, so much so that it's hard for us to even process. And God has positioned us here to be agents of hope and life for a world that is hurting. He told us in John 16, there on your outline, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In fact, Jesus told us that we would do even greater things than he did, which is just crazy to me. What kind of things did Jesus do? He rose the dead to life. He healed the sick. We can, we can go and pray over the sick and anoint them with oil and in faith believe for the miraculous. Those are the kind of things that we can do in his name. The reality of heaven empowers us to live, to pursue and go after things so much greater than ourselves. It, it empowers us to face some of the insecurities and fears that we're wrestling with, to overcome some of the addictions or behaviors within our own lives that we don't like. It invites us, empowers us to live. Matthew 6, 19, there in your outline says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, the invitation for us biblically, empowering us to live, is to live the Jesus life. And scripture tells us that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In fact, the call over and over and over in scripture is just that. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself, putting their interests above your own. Over and over and over, empowering us to live looks a lot like laying our lives down so that we might experience the miraculous, so that we might step into the abundant life that Christ came to offer. So one, the reality of heaven, it invites me to dream, to get a vision of eternity in heaven. Second, it empowers me to live. And number three there on your outline, it requires me to make a decision. It requires me to make a decision. John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, you say whoever for me? Whoever, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In Revelation twenty two seventeen, John said it this way, the spirit and the bride say come. So the spirit of God and the people of God, they say come. And let the one who hears, that's us, say come. Invite everyone to come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life come. If John was from the low country, he'd be saying, y'all come. Y'all, y'all come. Whoever, that whoever believes in him, it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what you're struggling with, it doesn't matter if you feel discounted, if, 
if you haven't been to church in a long time, if you don't even own a Bible, the only prerequisite for coming to receive this free gift is your willingness to come. That whoever, whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Each and every one of us were knit together in our mother's wombs. We're made in his image. And he desperately wants to live in a relationship with you, that you would not only spend eternity with him in heaven, but that you would taste and experience some of eternity right here on earth. You know, today, each and every one of us have a decision of some kind to make. And if you're anything like me, the, the two that I've made this week is, man, I'm gonna start thinking about heaven a lot more. I'm gonna start seeking out answers for some of my questions. I'm not gonna settle for apathy or just say, we'll find out what it's like when we get there. I wanna live towards heaven, lean into it with such excitement that just as my kids did with a Disney cruise where we were on a boat spending time with a mouse, <laughs> you know, that I could get a vision for heaven that compels me to live today in the abundance of life that Christ came to offer with some urgency to model Jesus, tell people about Jesus, that they too would join me there. I'm gonna think about heaven a lot more. Secondly, I'm gonna revise my bucket list. There's some people that I know I need to share my faith with. There's some demographics, some people groups that I want to serve. I wanna be a father to the fatherless. But man, that demands some some sacrifice, some changes. There's some things I wanna do. What kind of things might God be inviting you to add to your bucket list? Then for many of us today, I believe God's inviting you to make a decision as to where you're going to spend eternity. If we were to go out to coffee today and I said, hey, talk to me about heaven. How do you feel? What's going on in your heart? If today was your day, where would you go? You don't have to leave here with a question mark at the end of that. It's as simple as you responding to the invitation that John gave, come. Whoever wants of this gift, come. God knows exactly where you're at. He sees your pain, he knows your loneliness. He's crying with you, he feels your grief, he loves you. And all that it requires is you deciding to come. So what I'd love to do now here in Mount Pleasant and online across all of our campuses, if you just bow your head and close your eyes for me. Give everybody a moment of privacy as if we were sitting down having a conversation. You can settle once and for all where you wanna spend eternity. And I'm gonna ask all of you to raise your hand in just a minute, deciding that, you know what? I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, that he rose from the dead, conquering sin once and for all. And because he paid my price in full, I wanna invite him into my life so that I too can have a relationship with God that whether it's today, tomorrow, decades from now, that I would step into my eternal home, a new heaven that God has prepared for me and spend eternity there with him. If you wanna make that decision today with every head, bow, and eye closed, would you raise your hand for me? Just raise your hand and keep it up. You should be proud of this decision. You need to know there's angels in heaven that are rejoicing, dozens of hands all over this room, and I know at our campuses there is a party going on in heaven, and you better believe we're gonna celebrate it here and across all of our campuses. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for every single hand that's raised, knowing 
God, that you see them and knowing that you delight in them, knowing that there's a party going on in heaven. God, I pray that today would be a day where they would leave with a, a question mark removed in their mind, that it'd be replaced with an exclamation point, that they would know with certainty that they will spend eternity with you. God, we thank you for your son. And we thank you for the requirement. Our, our ticket of entry isn't anything that, that we could do or have done, but the finished work of Jesus on the cross, paying the price for our sin. God, we thank you for him. And we're excited. God, we look forward to our, our new home and new heaven with great expectation. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.